I invite you to join me in the book of Nahum. Nahum chapter 1. This name, Nahum, it means comforter. It carries with it the idea of compassion and consolation. Which is ironic, really, because this book foretells judgment. Judgment upon the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were a scourge constantly to the Israelite and uh, Jewish people. And they had become a vile and brutal power. They did not stick to the Geneva Convention. If you were conquered by the Assyrians, untellable horrors awaited you. They had swept across much of the Middle East, building an empire, and they were the superpower of that day. Jonah had gone to their capital about 150 years before Nahum, and he had preached to them, and he had preached their coming destruction unless they repented, and they did repent temporarily, and God withheld that judgment for a while. But now Nahum comes onto the scene and there is not going to be another, another period of respite for them. We don't know much about Nahum. We don't know where he was born. Some people think it was in the town of Elkosh. We get that from verse 1, the Elkoshite, which was a town in modern-day Iraq. Some people think he was from Capernaum. Nahum, Capernaum, it, he lends his name to that little town. But we don't know, so it can't be very important. The northern tribes, Israel, they've been conquered by the Assyrian Empire. They have been carried off and enslaved. And these people, perhaps the Israelite people, perhaps those that remained, the southern tribes, the southern kingdom of Judah, maybe they wondered and they thought, why is it that we are being punished? Why is it that God has allowed his people to be conquered and yet these vile people, the Assyrians, are getting away with it? And that's something we can often think. I think I've preached here before on Psalm 73 where it starts out that psalm where Asaph, he's complaining to God, saying, why is it that the worldly and the wicked, they get, they get to live how they please and get away with it whilst I... And the children of God seem to be having a difficult life. And that does cause us to question, doesn't it? Cause them to doubt God, doubt his character, doubt his abilities perhaps. Cause them anger. Why is it? It seems unfair. In verse 9 of Nahum chapter 1, the prophet says, What do ye imagine against the Lord? And we can all have all sorts of imaginings against the Lord. We can wonder why he is behaving the way he is. He can seem distant to us. He can seem as if he's not answering our prayers. When we can't see his plans, he seems inactive. And we can doubt, and we can even get angry. And in this chapter full of judgment and full of 
are full of condemning the, the uh, people of Nineveh. There's verse 7 that sticks out like an island of calm in this storm. We'll read it together. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. And it's this verse, really, that I feel quite strongly, I don't always feel strongly that what I'm preaching is what God would have me preach that particular day, but I felt quite strongly this week that this is the verse for us all today. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. There's a nasty little phrase in the middle of that verse that we need to deal with first, the day of trouble. The day of trouble, and I'd like to notice just a few things about this day of trouble. Firstly, it is a universal day of trouble. Human beings are born unto trouble, as surely as the sparks fly upwards. We will all have troubles in our lives. And we can probably all testify to the troubles that we have had in our lives. And we can look around in the world and see that people have troubles, various troubles. We won't all have the same ones. I may have some that you don't have, and you may have some that I don't have. But we will all have troubles. Sometimes we can look at a little child, a little baby, and think, well, they, they're just so immune to trouble. They haven't a care in the world. And then they start crying, and you realize, no, they have their troubles as well. And teenagers, they might think that they have all the troubles in the world right now. They have exams to prepare for. They have people that might not like them. And it can seem as if they have so much trouble. And they think, well, as soon as I get to 20, 21, then all my troubles will be over. Uh, how wrong that is. And we might think, well, now I'm working and I have troubles and I have difficulties, but there's always retirement to look forward to. That brings with it more troubles, different troubles, different shapes and sizes of troubles. All men, all women, all boys and girls will have troubles. And many think money is the answer. Well, if I have money, then I won't have troubles. If I have money, people will like me. If I have money, I can buy what I want. If I have money, I can pay for the best health care. Money will answer it, won't it? No, money, money won't answer our troubles. Rich people have trouble. Poor people have trouble. Beautiful people have trouble. Ugly people have trouble. Christians have trouble. Non-Christians have trouble. This day of trouble is universal. We will all know trouble in our lives. But it is the day of trouble. This isn't talking about the general grind of daily life. No, this is talking about a particular day of trouble. A particularly intense day of trouble. This is talking about the time of trouble in our lives that we will perhaps look back on. Or the day of trouble that perhaps we dread as we look forward to it. There will be times in our lives, or perhaps one particular time in our lives, when there will be, that is the day of trouble. That is the point in my life where I'm going to be tested most severely. That will come to us all, if it hasn't already. 
but it is a day of trouble. Now, is a day a long period of time or a short one? It's difficult to answer that. If you spend a day in a dentist's chair, I'm sure that would feel like a very long period of time. But if you packed all your bags and paid for your flights and went to Australia for a day, it wouldn't seem like a very long time at all, would it? What is indicated here is that there will be trouble for a period of time. That whilst we're in it, it might seem as if it's going to last forever, but it will swiftly be over. I wonder, do we know what it is to walk through a day of trouble? And if not, do we know how we will handle it when it comes? There is a day of trouble that we will all face. That is the day where we will stand before God, where he will judge us. We will all have a day of trouble. However, We don't have to go into it alone. There is still God. God is still God. Much as many people will try to convince you otherwise, the world will dismiss him, but he remains God. And really my purpose this morning is to look in this verse at three things that God provides for us in the day of trouble. The first is comfort. The second is his protection. And the third is his friendship. And I think if we have those things and if we remember those things, then we can face this day of trouble. and We can face it well. So firstly, God will provide comfort. We can draw a great deal of comfort in this first phrase of verse 7. The Lord is good. God is good. It would do us a lot, of, a lot of good to meditate on this. When we consider God's attributes, we can consider his, his uh, holiness. We can consider some of his attributes and they are all-encompassing and goodness is one of them. Yes, he is holy. Yes, he is infinite. And he is also good. Did you know in the New Testament... There is a name for God that he receives five times. And it's an unusual name. And that is despot. It's translated as Lord, but it is the word despotes. God is a despot. When we think about despots, we might think about people like Joseph Stalin. A totalitarian ruler of the Soviet Empire. We might think of Adolf Hitler. He was a despot too, a chilling tyrant of Nazi Germany. We might think of Mao Zedong. I looked up the pronunciation. 20th century ruler of communist China who crushed all opposition to his rule. We might think about citizen Robespierre who murdered or facilitated the murder of of tens of thousands of uh, the royal, royal family in the French Revolution. He was a despot. God is a despot. That means a ruler who has absolute power. His word is law. His will is done. His way is the only acceptable way. Now, what an awful thing if we didn't know that God is good. 
God is a good despot. He is good in his very essence. He is the source of all good. And we know, we can understand in this chapter that to be good, God has to hate evil. Some people think that being good is, is actually quite a weak attribute. They think, well, God's good. That means he just loves all the time and he's good and he's weak. No. To be good means that we have to hate evil. If you were to ask somebody about a dreadful event, let's, let's imagine the Holocaust, and said, well, what do you think about the Holocaust? And they said, well, I'm neutral on that. You would say, you are not a good person. No, to be good, you have to hate evil. And that is why we see God as furious and vengeful in this chapter. He is furious with the Assyrians. He has given them opportunity to repent, and yet they have escalated their wickedness. God is good. But what is really in focus here in verse 7 is not God's goodness in and of himself. It's his goodness as expressed to us. God is gracious, isn't he? He is good to us. He is so good that all things work together for our good. We love the Lord. This is a great comfort to us that God is good. There is comfort in this chapter because we see that God is sovereign. Even the unstoppable force of Assyria is subject to God. And these Jewish people that heard this prophecy, they've seen their countrymen or half-countrymen carried off by Assyria. It's sweeping all before them. They seem so big, so powerful, and yet God is still in charge of them. And I wonder, are there things that to us today, they seem too big and too powerful for us? Unstoppable forces. Hostility to the gospel can seem such an enormous problem. We can't imagine how to get, how to get people to respond and to love the gospel. The tide of sin in this world, I've mentioned it in prayer, it seems an unstoppable force. But God is still sovereign. We might have issues in our own lives, relationships that are broken, that seem to have no way of being restored. Problems, sin that has got hold of us that we cannot get out of. God is still sovereign. Everything is subject to him. There is not even one rogue atom in this world. They are all serving his purposes. And his purposes towards his people are good. God is good. And he is a great comfort to us in the day of trouble. Secondly, God is a protection in that day of trouble. A stronghold in the day of trouble, verse 7 says. A stronghold is a defensive position, a defensive fortress. It is a place that if we are in it, we are safe and we are secure. A year ago, I went to Wales with my two eldest boys and we walked around Conwy Castle. Is that how you say it? Conwy. Conwy Castle. And it's an extraordinary, 
extraordinary piece of engineering. And you can walk around the walls, and it takes you an awfully long time to walk around all those walls. But once inside those walls, you were safe. If people were coming to attack you, then you were safe. It's high. You're up on those walls. You're lifted up out of that danger. And when you're walking on those walls, you can see. You have a great vantage point. You can see what the enemy really is. When you're on the floor, you can just see. Imagine this tide of soldiers coming towards you. But when you're lifted up high, you can see the limits of the problem. These walls, they were immovable. They've been there for hundreds of years, and yet they still stand. God is far more immovable than any castle built by men. It's estimated that these old-fashioned medieval castles, if you wanted to assault one of them with your army, you would need at least a ratio of 1 to 10, or 10 to 1. One man standing on those walls would count for 10 trying to mount it. Even greater odds with God. One man, one lady with God is always a majority. God is a stronghold. He gives us protection in that day of trouble. Well, what is God able to protect us from? I could just say everything and close the Bible. But let's think about it for a minute. God's able to protect us from people. When there's somebody that is a scourge on our lives, slandering us, attacking us, God can protect us from them if we need protecting from them. God can protect us from accident. God can protect us from Satan, our great enemy. Satan is just as real as God, and yet he cannot touch us if we are in the stronghold of God, only if God permits him to. God is a stronghold from sin. When we feel as if sin and temptation are battering us, they are going to overwhelm us, we can flee to the stronghold of God. In that day of great trouble where we feel that we're surely going to fall, no, God can protect us from sin. Perhaps most significantly, God can protect us from himself. Because our biggest problem as human beings is actually the goodness of God. It's a wonderful comfort, but it is, it's also a dreadful problem because we are not good. We are the evil ones. We have all sinned. Nobody would say, nobody surely would say today that they haven't sinned, and yet God is good. And God has to hate sin. And God has to punish sin. He cannot overlook it. He cannot sweep it under the carpet because he is good. But he's also provided a stronghold. He's provided a stronghold for us sinners in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can hide in him. When that day of trouble comes, when our lives are ended and we stand before him, we use that expression, hide in Christ. Picture it as a stronghold. And all of the wrath and all of the anger of God at sin is poured out. Let that wrath break itself upon Christ instead of upon us. I wonder, are we in that stronghold? The stronghold of Christ, 
Because when that day comes, the inevitable day of trouble comes, we must be. We must be. Or there will be no more protection from God's wrath at our sin. Christians, when those days of trouble come to us in this life, do we go to the stronghold in our day of trouble? What does that actually look like? I'd like to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 5. You don't need to, but do feel free. 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 17. I'll just read verse 17 through to verse 19. And we see David here. David has got a big problem and he teaches us how we can go to God. But, verse 17, but when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David. And David heard of it and went down to the hold, literal, literally to a literal hold. But what's he doing? The Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thine hand. This is what it looks like to go into the stronghold in that day of trouble. It is to go into the presence of God. It's to seek his presence. It's to pray. It is to read his word and say, Lord, I don't know what to do. Do we do that? Or do we do that only as a last resort? David proved time and time again in those days of trouble that God would come through for him. God has provided protection for us in the day of trouble. If only we will flee to him. Lastly, this beautiful phrase at the end of verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. He knows them that trust in him. God knows. My friends, if you're walking through trouble, God knows all about it. He is omniscient after all. He knows every single thing. In Hebrews 4, verse 15, we read, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are. He knows the troubles of human life. He knows what it feels like to be a human being. The Lord Jesus Christ cried when he walked this earth. He knew what it was like. God is not just some far-off being. At this time of year, we think about God incarnate, don't we? He knows all about it. He knows our problems before we even pray. He knows it all because he is the one conducting it all. He is the one who, who is ordering it all for our good. And we can panic, can't we? We can think, well, I, I, I'm in this terrible situation. Well, God knows about it. And if we are God's children, he is doing it for our good. This week... My second son, Henry, he had a moment, a dreadful moment, a day of trouble in his mind. He had a tooth that needed to come out. And the dentist said he was gonna, it needed to come out. It was causing him pain 
And I'd like to take the credit, but I was a bit soft. So his mother said, that tooth is coming out. And Henry was panicking and crying and weeping and gnashing his teeth. And the tooth came out. And all of a sudden, it's been hurting for so long, it doesn't hurt anymore. Now, my wife knew what she was doing. She knew it needed to come out. She knew he needed to go through that moment of terror for his good. God is just the same. He knows exactly what we need. He knows us not only because he knows everything, he knows us in a special way. He identifies with them that trust in him. He takes ownership of us. In Psalm 1 we read, he knoweth the way of the righteous. Does that mean he doesn't know the way of the ungodly? No, of course he does. But he says, I acknowledge them. I know them. I am with them that are righteous. My friends, he knows our fears. He knows our weaknesses. He even knows our sin. And there is so much comfort in this. There is great assurance in this. Maybe we fall into sin. Maybe we show our moments of doubt. Maybe we even shake our fist at God sometimes and think, I just don't understand. We show our weakness. And then the devil comes and whispers and says, see, you're not welcome in the stronghold. God won't have somebody like you. Well, yes, he will. Because God knows us. He's always known us. He's known us since the beginning of time. He knows our sins. He knows that we will let him down. He knows that we will talk against him. He knows we will imagine things against him. And he says, well, if you trust in me, I'll be your stronghold. I'll protect you. Let none of us think we are not welcome in the stronghold. The Lord knows them that trust in him. There are many who profess to know God, who have a cerebral knowledge of God, an idea of God, but they're not, they're not known of him. We know from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ that on that great day of trouble at the end of time, there will be many who profess to know God, Profess to have done many things in his name, and he will say, depart from me. You workers of iniquity, I never knew you. The question is, does God know us? Does he know us as those that trust in him? He's not trying to know us as those who are perfect, as those that are sinless, as those that are faithful. No, does he know us as those who trust in him? As those who are safe in the stronghold? Those who have turned to him for their protection and for comfort? Please, let us all ask ourselves, when the day of trouble strikes, will we be in the stronghold? Where will we be found? Will we be found outside of the stronghold looking for any other way to fight against that day of trouble? Or will we go straight to him? Are we those that frequent the stronghold? Does he know us? If the answer is no, then 
There's no reformation needed. We just need to get in the stronghold, don't we? Let's not delay. Let's be there. Let's be those that pray, those that read his word, and those that are known of him. Amen. In closing, let's sing hymn number 571. 500, sorry, 751. You got it right. Like to panic the organist. Give to the winds thy fears. Hope and be undismayed. God hears thy sighs and counts thy tears. God shall lift up thy head.